Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 235. This week, we talk with Brent Steinman about some of the best announcements from Ignite 2019. And we also try out Visual Studio Online, and it's, well, smarter than us. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week we have Brent Steinman, an amazing colleague of both Carl and I. How's it going, Brent? It's going really good, other than it's snowing outside my window right now. Can oh, you do anything about that for me? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll take it from you. And um, yeah, that's how it works, right? Like <laughs> you're west of us, so we just wait and then we take your weather and then you get new weather and then you can complain about that. <laughs> okay, well, you should have a nice little flurry due in about three hours. So get, you know, get ready now. Okay, perfect. And then Brent runs a podcast that, uh, that probably very few listeners of ours can actually listen to, but it's amazing. And the reason that you can't listen to it is it's an internal podcast, but uh, I just want to throw all that out there that he is also a podcaster and he's doing great work, but you're just going to have to take my word on it. (laughs) Unless you really want to hear it, just apply for Microsoft, go through an interview loop, and then you can have access to it. And get in our group. Yeah. 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 There you go. Join team. Awesome. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I really admire what you've done because you know, it's the, the potential audience is obviously significantly smaller than doing a public podcast, but you have this huge benefit of sort of being able to talk to talk about just about anything. Um, and to talk about like team changes and, you know, things that are relevant to people on the team. And I would say in our group, I mean, we have what, almost 800 people, everybody's suffering from information overload, from teams and email. And I don't know, like I can't have enough monitors with enough screens to like get all of this information. So being able to, you know, while you're in the car or, you know, whatever at the gym, being able to listen and and maybe pick up a few things that you didn't know before um, is incredibly valuable. So I I think that's an idea that maybe some of our listeners could also do. Like if you're at a company, um, you know, consider starting, or if you're even a different group within Microsoft or whatever, you could consider starting up a, uh, a private podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I could take credit for it, but the, the idea actually comes from watching my kids and the way they consume content. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're both very much in the group that I think a lot of folks would refer to as the millennials. And for them, it's about, you know, watching these YouTube celebrities and other sources of social media content is how they digest everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought back to, to my generation and, you know, we've had the, the radio talk show hosts, Mm-hmm. We're kind of our way to digest news where it was a little bit of information, a little bit of entertainment. And I've tried to kind of bring that into a, an internal show for our group, which is the commercial software engineering team at Microsoft. We work with a lot of great partners all over the globe, but we're also distributed all over the globe. So it's really hard to stay in touch, especially for folks like us that are in the flyover states and don't necessarily make it to the mothership very often. It's, you know, it's a channel to try and get you the latest news of what's going on in the team, as well as inform you of some of the great people and great projects we're working on. And really with. great. Yeah. And, uh, Carl and I really want to get to those, uh, millennials. So, uh, watch for our new, uh, TikTok channel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, interesting idea though. Okay, cool. So Carl stickers. 
Yes. If you want stickers, send us an email with stickers in the subject line and then your name and address in the body. And I will eventually get around to sending you one. Very cool. And then what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, This week, we got an email from Matt Harrington. He said, I love hearing C++ content on your podcast. Would you consider inviting Simon Brand on? He's on the VDS team and is their developer evangelist for C++. Um, We would definitely consider that. Uh, We love to hear what you guys want for tech inspirations. Uh, Jason and I try our best sometimes to uh, (laughs) vary it up, but uh, a lot of times we do stick to our wheelhouse quite quite a bit. So having people ask for either people or technology um, topics really help us kind of push the envelope and make sure it's content that you guys want to hear. Yeah. Let's so do if it. you want to get mentioned on the show like Matt, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on our website or Twitter. We especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Perfect. Okay. So today we're going to be talking all about all of the really cool announcements at Ignite, and we have a lot of stuff to go through. So um, let's see, where should we start? Azure Arc? Should we start there? I guess alphabetical order. (laughs) There we go, because it is what, like a a 60-page document that outlines everything that showed up at Ignite or was announced? Oh, yeah, there was like the big book of news. Is that public or is that private? Yes, it's public. It is public. So there is a URL that we'll put in the show notes. It'll probably one of the few URLs for this week's episode, Mm -hmm. but definitely go check it out because we're only going to hit a tiny percentage of the content there. Yeah. Okay. So what is Azure Arc? Uh, So the the best that I could discern, and this is all still brand new stuff. So I think everything, everybody needs to bear with the fact we're all still learning it. Arc seems to be an attempt to create a single management plane to span both the cloud and on-prem. So the way you're used to managing your cloud resources, you can now manage them on-prem and they the interesting part to me about the announcement and immediately perked the ears with some of the, the customers I know we all work with is it's very much aimed at the hybrid scenario. You know, we want to have both cloud, we want to have on-prem, we want to have a seamless, seamless backplane to manage it, but it almost goes a step beyond that in my mind. And that's the part that really gets my interest going is if we look at the, the whole concept of intelligent workspace, and what something like Arc or this hybrid nature could mean to an increasingly mobile workforce. Yeah. They just do a mic drop on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, in my understanding on this thing is, you know, Carl, I know he was having some conversations around this where it sounds like you can basically take the agent that gets installed in, in um, you know, Azure virtual machines and you can install that outside of Azure. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. Uh, I think that's one aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but to, to me, it's also about, um, and keep in mind, I, I work with some key partners that are in, shall we call the, the virtual desktop space. Mm-hmm. And they're keenly interested in this because they're seeing a world increasingly where that virtual desktop really becomes, or let me back up. So that they're very much looking ahead at a world where your mobile device may become the only computer you carry. Mm. All right. And that device becomes a gateway to a, a virtualized infrastructure, be that in the cloud or on-prem that does represent where the actual work is being done. I think you've seen some of this in discussions in the past with things like xCloud, where you're, you're playing an Xbox game from your local machine yeah. or from your local handheld device. Uh, imagine those scenarios as they continue to grow to the fact where those of us that are very much IT oriented, 
we, we walk into a hotel, we slap our phone down on a wireless charging pad on the desk, and it's automatically wired up to the screen and a keyboard and a mouse and connects us into our virtual machines in the cloud that we're running high memory, high CPU compiler boxes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Arc to me is a step towards helping enable those kinds of scenarios. Okay. Yeah, it definitely seems like a, a progression of some of the previous attempts that we've tried before with Azure Stack, uh, obviously had some problems. Uh, IoT Edge is, I would say, another progression in this. But um, I think one of the cool things when you do look at like s- some of the discussions I was having with the technology and how it's implemented, you that agent that would get deployed on your local thing is actually, you know, it being the same thing that we've been running in Azure to do all of the other deployments for the previous, you know, 10 plus years of cloud uh, really means that that agent is, isn't actually anything new. It's, you know, battle tested, you know, software for these deployments. So the fact that we're allowing that outside of the cloud infrastructure, um, is kind of exciting and I'm definitely interested in, in seeing where this goes and how many opportunities it unlocks. Yeah. I actually have a whole bunch of virtual machines running on my, on my desktop here uh, because I, you know, it's like, Oh, I want a new Linux environment. So I create a new Linux VM and I could create that in the cloud, but there's a whole bunch of cost with just keeping it running. And I could do auto, you know, people will ask me like, why don't you just have it automatically shut down? Well, the nice thing is like I have spare compute ability, you know, on this giant machine that I built and these VMs are essentially sitting idle and they're consuming no resources because it's dynamic memory, dynamic disk. And then obviously it's just using however much CPU is used. So it's basically zero resources. I would love to install the Azure agent on there and then start to manage those as part of like all the other resources I have and then be able to start using those as like build agents or like deploy different workloads to them. So I'm really interested in this. And then the other thing I saw here was um, it's multi-cloud. So like theoretically, I mean, you can, I mean, in a perfect world, everybody would be using Azure, (laughs) but some people are, you know, have some resources that are on AWS and some that are in Azure. And what's great about this, especially if you're, um, you know, either managing both or you're migrating over to Azure, you could manage all of those as a group, which I think is a huge, huge perk then of Azure. Yeah, very much so. And I, I think we even saw with some of the other announcements at Ignite that were very much or very closely related to me. The, the next one that leaped out to me was the Azure Data Services announcement mm-hmm. about being able to to run those data services on what, pretty much anywhere, uh, basically containerizing the workloads, making them highly portable. And you start combining that with something like Arc, and you've now got a SQL server that could be sitting in your own network. It could be sitting in Azure. It could be sitting in a third-party cloud. And it's all managed the same way and all gives you the same capabilities. I mean, they're getting closer and closer of that dream that cloud is no longer a thing. It's just the way we do business. Yeah. Do you have any more details on how that works? Because obviously, normally when you want to run containers, you're either running Docker itself, or if you want to do some kind of orchestration of multiple containers, you bring in something like Kubernetes. So if I wanted to run, um, you know, SQL Server in a virtual machine, like on my computer here, like, does that mean that I have like Azure container instances, for example, can I do ACI? Like, do you have any under- detailed understanding of how that works? I, I don't yet. I okay. unfortunately haven't gotten, to I figured it this. was too, too early, but I thought I'd ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've got my own suspicions because there was another announcement also at Ignite was around the Azure SQL database edge. Yeah. And, and that was very much SQL in a container running at the edge or, you know, like in 
some IoT devices type space. And it seems like there's a common theme of being able to use containers as not just a resource isolation boundary, but also as a, a packaging model. Right. So you can say, here's a container that defines the the applications and the bits that are included with them. Now I want you to go out and run that, be that in a Kubernetes cluster or you know, as part of the Azure data services running in my own own network or maybe even running in an Azure container instance somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. The implications of this are, are super cool because this is what everybody wants, right? Like I don't, I don't want to develop. I, I don't know that I'd agree that it's what everybody wants. I think it's a stepping stone towards what everybody really wants. Yeah. Well, I, I guess what I was saying is like the thing, the thing that we have today, you know, that, that may, maybe got pushed up until recent history was like, yeah, you, you write that on-prem code and then you write that cloud code. And then if you want, you can figure out how to connect those together. Like that was, to me, that was a horrible story that, that nobody wanted, nobody wanted two code bases. So I guess what I meant by that was we're getting, we're getting to that place where we have one code base that works everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely getting closer to that. I think the the next step, and that's probably a subject for a later show is talking about the, the next iteration of all these orchestrations mm-hmm. and getting something that truly lets us to start, start forgetting about the hardware and just focus on the applications and the workloads. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny every time, every time we sort of have that new plateau, right. Where we, we have like this, we get to the, the, what we think is kind of the right level of abstraction. So like now that would be like Docker, for example, or even Azure functions or something like that. Um, you get to that level of abstraction and then everything else seems kind of, I don't want to say seems silly, but like it, you kind of went through all these stepping stones, like IaaS and things like that. And it's like, yeah, I never really wanted to do that. That was just a, a path to get here. Like, I wish we could, I wish you could just see like, you know, where things are going to be in 10 years and then just, you know, go through the pain today. But, you know, that's not how computing works, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think if any of us had that answer, we'd probably be sitting really close to retirement right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, you want to talk about Gen two VMs? So those went; those were GA'd, and the biggest thing is uh, switching over to the UEFI versus a BIOS. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we many of us have probably gotten used to not having a BIOS on our, you know, on our own personal computer over the last few years. Um, for those of us that are not familiar, the UEFI is the Unified External Firmware Interface. So think of it almost as BIOS V2. BIOS had been around pretty much unchanged since the 80s. It's the firmware that allows your computer to start up and load an operating system. And with UEFI, especially in the cloud, it starts opening up a whole new series of potentials for those virtualized workloads. Instead of just saying, well, here's a OS image and the bits I'm loading off onto it. With this, we have the potential of being able to customize that UEFI boot sequence. So you can now control things at an extremely low level to make sure that machine is running exactly the way you want it. So if you start talking highly specialized workloads, VM workloads in the cloud, that starts turning some interesting dials that we could potentially try and leverage. Yeah, that's super cool. More control is better. UEFI is better. I don't think there's any downsides. Like like you said, it's just it's just the the new way of doing things. Yep. Um, very cool. And then the next one we have on the list, Azure Bastion went GA. This one is super cool too. Yep. Yep. So Bastion allows you to have secure and totally seamless RDP or SSH access into a cloud VM. You put it into your virtual network. You can help link that back to your on-prem existing physical network. And it just really helps light up giving people remote access to those resources in a very streamlined manner. Um, 
I, I think I don't know what else to say about it other than it's incredibly awesome, especially if we get back to that idea of um, intelligent workspaces and remote workers. It just lights that up so much more seamlessly than you can do today, even with things like just-in-time access. Well, I think I think I think the best way to sort of look at it is how did we do it before, right? So one way was people would just put VMs on the internet with RDP open, which is terrible, or you'd create like a jump box or a VPN or something like that. Um, and this is just a, this is a managed, uh, you know, secure way to get into there, which I, I like a lot better. Yep. And I was guilty of that. I had remote desktop running for the longest time for my my desktop at home and uh you know like a year ago switched over to i have to vpn in <laughs> and now i can access my machine and that's been working pretty yep. good yeah, i think i still have a few older machines that are sitting out there with rdp open and i've just got firewall rules that only let it come from my home network i really need to move over to the vpn option as well yeah absolutely um and then the next one here uh, this one confuses me a little bit but it's azure disk cmk which stands for customer managed keys so it's for encrypting mm-hmm. your Azure VM disks with keys that you manage. I thought this was something that was already there. So I, I'm not sure what's new about this. I, I think they've taken it up a notch because I think you can encrypt them and link them to Key Vault. Yeah. was an option that's been around for a little while. But now you're able to basically bring those keys to your, yourself. So um, I need to ah, dig into this one a bit okay. more because I've, I've definitely got some customers that are interested in this potential space. But the impression I get is that it's the ability for you to have your own key management service. Okay, okay. So if you wanted to spin up a VM and have that encrypted, but not necessarily give Microsoft the keys. So even if you're putting it in Key Vault, there are still some people out there that are concerned where it's a Microsoft service. Microsoft has access to the keys. They could then decrypt my, my storage systems. Um I believe this service starts lighting up that feature where there's no way for us to touch it. You know, it's strictly sitting within your network and your own managed key system and your machines are now able to boot up and run. Okay. But as I need to dig into this one a little bit more. Yeah, that I mean, makes, it's got that, that makes some sense, really though. good potentials in the privacy space for helping secure workloads. Of course. Yeah. Cause I, like you said, the previous iteration was you could use key vault, um, but now it sounds like it's just even more flexible. So that's yeah. great. Um, event hubs on Azure stack, uh, is in preview. Yeah. That's something I've, I've been waiting for a long time. I'm I know a lot really, of people have been. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the messaging space. So this one will be cool. Yeah. I guess that one speaks for itself. Doesn't it? Well, I mean, it goes a bit further. I think a lot of people when they're trying to do event streaming and for those that aren't familiar, event hub is a managed solution to do event streaming. It's very much not a queuing semantic. Um, think of it much more like a, a fleet services company that's showing up at your door with a dump truck full of events that you have to process rather than a, a courier showing up and having you sign for that individual message. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes this interesting is in today's world, if you want these kinds of workloads on-prem, your most likely choice is to turn around and spin up Kafka, which means you're probably running containerized workloads, which means you've got a Kubernetes cluster that Kafka is living in, so you're managing a huge amount of infrastructure. With this announcement, if you're running Azure Stack, you can now just simply say, Azure Stack, I want you to spin me up a, an Event Hub namespace, and I want you to enable the Kafka head on it. And now you've essentially got a managed Kafka endpoint that you don't have to worry about all the plumbing on anymore. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Azure Security Center plus Logic Apps. What? Yeah, I, I ran across this one. I don't spend <laughs> a lot of time in the management side of things, but right. I thought it was kind of interesting. To me, it's a, a doubling down on Logic Apps. 
So you'll be able to use Logic App to define a security center workflow. Mm-hmm. So you're no longer having to learn two sets of technologies to start building these things. You can go into Logic Apps and use its connectors to do, you know, essentially drag and drop workflow design rather than having to sit around in Security Center and say, now I have to take these policies and all this PowerShell and cobble everything together to implement my workflow. And I think that could be really interesting. Uh, if anything, just for helping drive innovation in the Logic App side of things and turning it less into being a a business user centric tool and almost more of an operational kind of tool. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really underused. Like I, you know, and, and I admit to it, I just don't think of it much in, in many of these cases, but it actually is, you know, extremely powerful in how you can build these things. Yep. Yep. Maybe it'll at least get the logic apps team to up their game when it comes to supporting CICD pipelines. Cause I think that's still a real weakness of logic apps. So yeah. we'll keep rooting for them to fix that. Okay. And then Azure functions premium, and I see here, improve cold start and serverless automation. So the cold start, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's needed for, for so many situations. Yeah, what, what premium brings to the table is you're no longer, when you want to scale up, waiting for a machine to be provisioned, implemented into you know whatever environment you're using, your bits installed in it. When you opt for premium, you're paying a bit more of a price, but you have a series of warm instances that are sitting out there ready to run your application on a moment's notice. So Mm -hmm. um, I think the the official document said it eliminated cold start. I'm a little more pessimistic than that. I I don't buy into things like immediate and real time. There's always a delay. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm at least willing to embrace the fact that I'm sure it's going to significantly improve the cold start experience for anyone running serverless. Well, I mean, I guess I would be inclined to believe it just because my understanding um, just from the outside of thinking about why there is a cold start it's because you're hitting a machine that doesn't have your code on it, right? It's not, yep. it's just not there. If you, you know, precede those bits and, um, and it's ready to go. And now I know with, you know, uh, having .NET or if, if it's Node, I guess it's not compiled ahead of time. But if you have all this stuff, you know, compiled ahead of time and like ready to go, then your second run is, is essentially the same as, as the first run, uh, theoretically. Well, it's in my mind, this isn't so much about individual runs mm-hmm. as it is about scaling operations. Yeah. Because if I turn around and tell functions, I want you to run 10 instances of this, it's going to spin up and get 10 instances running. Yeah. But if I want to go from 10 to 15, mm-hmm. or I'm in a consumption model where those things are not constantly up and running, then I can start seeing delays and getting that booted up. And while absolutely having the bits already waiting on a VM to receive a request, I think is good. I think we have to recognize that something like serverless, we'll just use an HTTP trigger as an example. Mm-hmm. It's not just about spinning the bit up and having it listen for the request. It's about realizing that request comes in and now the fabric that is, you know, Azure functions now has to determine there's new instances available. I need to start routing requests to them. I need to activate that. So I think there'll still be some cold start delays, but I think we'll see things significantly improve with this model because they're going to be able to shortcut all that copying everything around and getting a machine configured to host it. Mm-hmm. It's really just waiting for us to do that quick little switch of the plug to say, start using that resource. Yeah. So it's like before Black Friday, like, you know, <laughs> an hour before just say I need 50 instances and, and fire those things up. <laughs> yep. Okay. Precisely. And, and they'll be ready, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever, probably less than that after you hit that switch because they're already sitting there ready to go. 
Oh yeah, that's a really good point too. They can just because they're they can feed them in, and then yeah, then it's just a matter of uh, preparing them. Raygun Crash Reporting provides automated monitoring software for your entire tech stack, giving you better visibility and code level diagnostics into the errors and crashes that affect your end users. Raygun is a more sophisticated alternative to logging errors. While logs provide you with an overwhelming stream of information, Raygun finds then groups errors based on root cause. The easy-to-use dashboard gives your team members a manageable list of bugs to fix in real time, ranked on frequency, or by the number of users affected. Getting started takes minutes. Simply select the language and framework you wish to monitor and add Raygun into your code using one of their lightweight SDKs. So what are you waiting for? It's time to control the chaos around solving software bugs in your own application. Deliver better software experiences for your customers with Raygun. Visit raygun.com to find out more. Ah, uh, cool. Okay, and then Azure Quantum. So we saw a whole bunch of announcements from Google. So what is going on in the Azure space? Um, well, Microsoft is taking a bit of a different approach. So I think both Microsoft and Google are dealing with this concept of a qubit. So qubit is a way of combining these quantum units, these individual bits together, the quantum bits, into addressable units. And Google cracked them with their quantum supremacy approach that was announced, I think about a month ago, mm -hmm. where they'd been able to get, you know, qubits running together. So the, one of the key concepts in quantum computing is the fact that you've got these quantum bits can be both one and zero at the same time. But the problem is there's a degree to which they will fail. Okay. So they'll become unstable and have to be rotated out and new things will have to be rotated in. So as we dive into quantum computing, they're trying to create these larger gangs of qubits that can be addressed. And Google managed to crack an approach that does this. But what Microsoft's research group is doing, and I will stress this is research, this stuff is not real yet. Um, they've come up with this idea of a topological qubit mm -hmm. that is going to have potentially significant impacts beyond what Google's approach that they used in the quantum supremacy project could bring. I think you and I were talking earlier offline that um, Microsoft in the, the scope of 10 to 100 qubits will be able to achieve a similar load to what it takes in the, um, the Google supremacy model with a thousand to 20,000 physical qubits. Yep. And at that point, it's all about density because if you imagine these quantum computers have to run really close to absolute zero to, to get the, the physical attributes in a state where they can be used for quantum computing, that is a lot of wires. That's a lot of cooling. That's a lot of cost. And if you can increase that density, the quantum technology starts becoming more and more real. And what Azure Quantum is to kind of bring this up, you know, a level from research into practicality is we're trying to bring that quantum workloads into the, the cloud workspace. So you no longer have to worry about building your own facility host a quantum computer. You could, will eventually be able to come to Azure and other clouds and just run it there. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was hilarious. I, I don't know if that I said up, the magic word. I don't, Alexa I don't, I don't know if that'll actually show up on the audio, but yeah, that was uh, Alexa responding to you. 
with uh, with her intelligence uh, superiority. So yeah, you know, I even told her to go on mute, so she didn't listen to me very well that time. Yeah. So the due to the extreme cold, I'm anticipating that there'll be an Azure data center in Minnesota, and these will be very inexpensive in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just going to set up one in my backyard. We should be set to go in another month or two. Yeah. Yeah. Just at just at room temperature outside. So um, yeah. yeah, we'll we'll link to uh, a really good article on this where they talk about basically the Microsoft versus uh, Google approach. And um, it's really interesting. I don't claim to like understand all the intricacies of this, but I like that there is, you know, I don't want to call it an arms race. Let's call it just a race. <laughs> There's like a race, um, um, you know, to just like really unlock this next level of computing. And it's really hard to understand all the implications of that. The The other interesting part I mean, of this. Some of the implications okay. are incredibly real. Yeah. I mean, if you imagine the processing power that could result from quantum computing, mm-hmm. it could effectively render modern mathematical encryption algorithms completely obsolete. Mm-hmm. Cause you'll, you'll be able to take something like a, you know, 256 bit triple DES encrypted, you know, payload and almost decrypt it in real time. Absolutely. And those are some real problems that I know companies and governments all over the world are trying to figure out what are we going to do with encryption in a a post quantum world? Mm -hmm. You know, I never understood this. I don't want to go into too much of a tangent, but I never understood like how, you know, when you actually got a decryption key, correct? (laughs) Like wouldn't the answer be to make it so that you just can't tell when you have it right? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, yep. if I write some gibberish on a sheet of paper and I tell you to like decode it and then you're like, I think I have it. And then I just look at him like, no, no, that's not the right answer. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't know when you, I mean, you have to ask me if, you know, like, did I get it? Right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm totally a noob on this though. And I'm, I'm sure that there's, you know, this is like a, a mathematical race where there, there must be some way of, uh, of actually checking that. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, the the other thing to to kind of call out here, and I don't know if there's a good article on it, is just that I know Microsoft has uh, you know Q Sharp, and um, has been working with like quantum style computation for a while. And yep. I what I always found really interesting about that, and I think we covered it a little bit in a different uh, podcast whenever we had um we had somebody on for quantum computing, but uh, basically, I, and I think she was talking about it a little bit where. Um, by essentially approaching a problem with like a quantum approach, even if you don't have a quantum computer, um, can actually cause you to find, you know, better solutions that, that, um, that, that traditional computing won't, uh, won't solve. So it's just by taking a different approach, um, even though you don't have like those computational gains. And I thought that was really interesting. Yep. Yep. And that's available today. I think on the latest version yeah. of the Azure quantum SDK. Yeah, the quantum SDK. That's so cool. Everything sounds cooler with quantum. Um, and then for the last one here, and I don't know if this one came from you or not, Brent, but the Visual Studio Online Preview. Um, did you put this one in, Brent, or was this you, Carl? I put that. that might have been Carl. Yeah, yeah. And this was something we've been waiting for for a while. And I'm trying to th- I, like d- don't take my next statement too seriously, but like I was super disappointed by this because, and I think it was because in my head I was imagining this magical free online version of Visual Studio, but of course somebody has to pay for that infrastructure. So whenever you actually go to sign up for this, it's like, hey, what's your Azure subscription? We're gonna f- spin up a VM for you, which makes sense because you need the persistence and you need all the other stuff with it. But um, I was I was hoping it would be. Um, I was hoping it would be like a free product, but it makes sense that you'd have to pay for, um, you know, because this actually is running, uh, you know, and essentially in a VM, but have, uh, either of you gotten a chance to use this yet? 
I, I haven't yet, no. Okay. I spun it up and uh, had the exact same gut feeling that you did. Yeah. And I was excited. You go to online.visualstudio.com and yeah. you sign in and it's like, how do you want to pay for this? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, I don't. I wanted, I wanted it to appear two seconds after I went to the website. Well, and, even yeah. at that, you know, I, I think it would be a little bit easier to take if it was kind of presented more like a PaaS service and right. instead of like, where would you like the VM? Right, right, right. Yeah, because like, it was it was it was sort of advertised. It, maybe maybe we totally misinterpreted, but to me it sounded like a SaaS service where I was just going to go there and it was going to be like, oh, you're logged in, so here you go, here's Visual Studio, and uh, I thought that would be kind of cool. Now I still think this is uh, pretty cool. I, you know, it kind of makes the implication though, like, can you can you install this or is it is it r- literally only online? I didn't even think about that doing any research on that. You know, like, no, you, you've got Visual Studio has a free tier, VS Code's free. So, I mean, you've got yeah. a local version. But this, but this is a but, you can do today. Right. But this is a web version, though, is is the point. So it actually runs in your browser, but the back end, it's kind of like, um, uh, what is that? Jupyter Notebooks. It's like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you've used that, but like the server runs in, in, you know, wherever you want, and then you access it from a browser. So Visual Studio yeah. Online works like that. So that's why I'm wondering. Um, I obviously can have the backend running in the cloud. Can I also have the backend running like on my own server? I guess it makes the most sense in the cloud because then it can be anywhere. Yeah. Well, once you yeah, put think- it on Azure Arc, then it can be wherever you want. There it. you go. There you go. There you Find go. These. Now we've gone full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking. So yeah, it looks like it's always cloud power, cl- cloud powered. So what are your first impressions though, Carl, like of the actual experience? Well, one of the things that's actually disappointing but in a positive way is like you <laughs> open it up and it's like this is just like having it on my desktop right <laughs> right like it, how would it, it be different exactly yeah. the same yeah i mean that's the benefit right of writing all this stuff in like html javascript visual studio or that yeah y- you can't tell other than there's obviously you know it doesn't have access to your direct file system uh it's saving things in the cloud um and, you know, some of the extensions that I, I know that I have on mine just aren't there by default because I haven't taken the time to configure those yet. Yeah. So, yeah, because you go in here, you have to pick the instance type and it looks like you get four cores, eight gigs or eight cores, 16 gigs. And then what's kind of cool, though, is they do the automatic um, suspension of the VM. So after like 30 minutes, so it will spin down, which is uh, which is really nice. So. Anyway, I'm creating it now, but I won't I won't make all of our listeners wait while that's going on. Uh, uh, we did miss one, though. Okay, go ahead. Uh, SQL Database Edge. Well, we we kind of touched on that earlier, but yeah. uh, this is something I think we've announced a preview for a while back, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I, Carl and I were discussing this before the show. Is this, is this um, yeah, is it SQL Database or is it Azure Database? Like, is, you know, in, is there a distinction there or not? So I, I think that the interesting thing about this is if you go to the product page, uh, which is linked from these notes as well, uh, you know, this is a, a low footprint SQL database. So it takes T-SQL. Uh, it works on ARM and X64. But the interesting thing is there's like a few other things that are added to this that aren't really part of like a normal SQL thing. So there's uh, time series capabilities to this, which are very important on edge devices. Um, there's ML capabilities um, as well as graph capabilities. So I think being able to query your data 
as a graph is really interesting on the edge in addition to that. So I don't know exactly which product this ties back to directly. If there is a dotted line from, you know, you know, a standalone uh, SQL service, Mm -hmm. but I, I think this is, something that's really optimized for our low power devices that are going to be, you know, running this. Yeah. You don't, because not only are they low powered, but they have to run their regular workload. They just can't run, you know, SQL. So this is going to be highly optimized. So I, it would make sense for this to be its own standalone thing without a direct um, equivalent in the cloud. So my environment is ready. And I don't know how they made this so instant. Like when I went to create it, it took like 10 seconds. Maybe they're using functions premium. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a VM. (laughs) No cold start confirmed. (laughs) Um, And it's crazy because it's like all of the exact same functionality. I even searched for like some extent, like all the extensions are automatically supported. Um, I don't know how to get my code yet, but um, that's just me being stupid. But anyway, um, uh, when you do configure it, you can point it or to be defaulted towards like a, a Git, GitHub repository. So mm, yeah. that was another cool feature. Yeah, I already messed it up. <laughs> 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 and wipe the VM and start over. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. So actually, this is this is pretty cool. I mean, because the performance isn't any different. Um, so what happens? Well, there's no terminal. There's no terminal, is there? I never even thought of that. So that's the thing you're missing. Like, how do you actually run anything? Because you can debug. What are you debugging? I don't know. It actually lets you debug. So, <laughs> so they must all be oh, happening this, on that well, machine. That's pretty cool. So I, I had done mine earlier and it had suspended. And now when you go back to online to visualstudio.com, uh, you see it there and it says suspended. And now it's actually in the starting process. So it's taking that's like cool. a few seconds to warm back up. And by the way, I was wrong. There is a terminal. Like there's nothing missing. Like I yeah, can't. You just have, I figured that you just had to <laughs> enable the pain. Yeah. Well, it was just in a weird spot. This is incredible. I mean, it's just like, I mean, obviously it's just a, it's kind of like what I was doing before where I was doing the remote SSH stuff, but this is the whole thing. And I'll have to really think about how this fits in with like remote SSH. Like, is this better? Um, it is nice that it works in a browser. I'll have to try it on the iPad. That was one thing I was really curious about if it'll run on an iPad. Yeah. And it's really cool because like when I brought my backup right now, mm-hmm. it, it brought back exactly where I left. Like I had some state that was there that was saved and some that wasn't. And it's just kind of right where it was. Yeah. I'm going to try like, what is it? NPM install almost oh, no, that NPM. So, oh yeah, look at that. It's like installing stuff. That's cool. Okay. Well, it looks, I mean, it's your, I guess that's, that's why they did the VM, right? Cause you can do whatever you want. <laughs> they let you mess it up as, as much as you want. And if you want to use all your CPU or do whatever, or install Python, or, um, you can go ahead and do that. So, okay. Well, I feel better about it now, now that I see like what their, what their vision was. Um, it just magically works. And I like that. Um, okay. Anything else we wanted to mention going once, going twice. Not my end. Okay. Um, okay. So Brent, where can people find you? Uh, well, as Carl already found out, I update Twitter fairly regularly with my untapped check-ins, mm-hmm. um, with other information kind of infrequently, but I also have a somewhat infrequently updated blog on WordPress that I believe is Brent Decode monkey. So we'll make sure you guys get a link for that. Okay. We'll have that in the show notes. And then Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. Thank you, Brent, so much for coming on here and uh, filling us in on all the great Ignite announcements. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. 